This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Adam Flat. It was recorded at Social Still in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Adam and Social Still and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We're here at Social Still in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm joined by Adam Flat. Adam's the owner, distiller, and you make a lot of the magic that goes on here. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Adam, how did all of this get started? We're in a bank yeah. And now it's a story and restaurant. Yeah. How did all this get started? Who knew we'd be here today? But we started um, basically it goes all the way back to a, a trip I was uh, having where I came up with the idea for the distillery. But I think my story reminds even further back. Uh, born and raised in the winery business. Uh, my family owns a, a winery called Franklin Hill Vineyards. So I was uh, born in the business. I grew up uh, driving tractors at eight years old and, and harvesting grapes and uh, eventually worked my way through the through the ranks there with whether it was vineyard manager or marketing or sales, depending on what it was. So I spent most of my youth, all through my teens and 20s, um, kind of exploring the, the wine business. I do have a degree in marketing, um, so I kind of applied that to what we were doing over at the winery. But in 2014, we saw an opportunity for this new trend of boutique distilleries, these small batch distilleries, and we said, hey, this is something special, something unique, and I think... Um, we think there's something there, kind of like where the craft beer industry was 25 years ago. You know, you see this kind of this emergence of the small guys using better ingredients, better things. We say, hey, that's kind of what we do in the wine business. You know, wine is so particular and, and special. Um, so let's just apply that to what we do in the distilling business. How hard could it be? You know, like you know, how <laughs> right. different could distilling be from winemaking? I have a lifetime of experience in the winemaking side. Well, lesson learned in 2014 as I start preparing and putting it all together that they're incredibly different, and that you can apply them similarly, but you can do it very, you could do it a different way. So uh, we started planning in 2012. Um, started ordering some of the equipment and things like that. We were the first. Now at that story. time, yeah, you're yeah. you're almost at that. Beginning point yep. where you're going to manufacturers, um, people that are you know creating all these stills. That's right. They're not quite sure what to do and how to service you at the time, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, and I, they still struggled to be honest with you. But we were in um, on a trip to Colorado, ski trip, having fun, and, and I happened to see a, a, a place called Breckenridge Distilling there, and we we're like, yeah, that's kind of neat. What is that? Small batch whiskey? Never heard of that. I've heard of the big boys, Jim Beam, Jack Daniels. Well, I know what small batch wine looks like. That's what I do already over at my family business. I also know small batch beer. You know, half the Lehigh Valley is into these craft microbreweries and stuff. 
I said, maybe this small batch whiskey things that could be a, could be a, a good deal, a, a unique thing. So I said, what a great way to diversify what we already do in the winemaking side of things. We also have four wine bars. I said, well, what else can we do? So we started exploring the idea of opening a distillery. And uh, through all that uh, exploration and, and checking it all out, there may have been a few leaks. Some mayor's offices may have found out a few things. And I was planning on doing this back at home where the winery is in Bangor, Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, the city of Bethlehem uh, gave us a call through some connections saying, we've heard about your project. I'm not sure how they heard about it. But there was a few leaks. The uh, media had picked up a few things with us, um, saw that we were touring things on Facebook and kind of picked up on what the idea was happening. And uh, so we said, well, let's, let's listen what the city of Bethlehem has to say to us. So they showed us some of the old ruins here at the Bethlehem Steel, um, which was you know one of the grandest industries in America at one point, kind of in its ruins now and it's falling apart. But you're seeing a rebirth over here. We took this a is a very vibrant area, yep. and, and mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's apparent is how you're leading that rebirth and yep. being a part of the city coming back to life. Absolutely. So when we took a look at a few of the other buildings, uh, we're like, these are amazing, huge industrial buildings, and we thought about fit out and everything else, and then they showed us this old bank. And uh, we were like, this is perfect. It's, it's, it's small enough that we can manage it in, in, in one sense, but it's big enough that we could put our grand plan together of having a great meeting place for people to eat and drink and, and come together and not only just be a distillery, but be a great place for people to enjoy themselves. And we just saw the vision in it. Uh, the bank was falling apart, leaky roof, everything else. It hadn't had a tenant in about 10 years. And uh, so we did a level one restoration. This is now a National Historic Landmark. It's on the National Registry. And um, we're making booze in a historic landmark. I mean, it's pretty cool. We stayed authentic to the vision of the building. We kept its originality. We made sure we followed it to the T. But at the same time, we, we put a state-of-the-art distillery in here and also a great eatery. And I think that's what um, people have been finding coming here that, to try something boutique, unique, something made from Pennsylvania products, not only just the liquor, but also the food, too. One of the things that stands out, at least from a guest coming in the front door, is how you light the distillery, yep. how you light the still. It was bathed in purple. Yep. Was there a thought process that went behind how you staged that? Sure, yeah. So so here in Bethlehem, we have a famous venue called the Steel Stacks. It's uh, the Levitt Pavilion. And what it, it's becoming known as a world-class uh, world uh, music venue where the backdrop is the old steel mill. And instead of leaving it the way it was, they started to glorify with these beautiful lights and everything else. So they put these amazing LED lights. So we thought, well, it's a new business coming to Bethlehem. Let's honor what it was always. So we don't want to be coming in here and trying to change things and do something else. And ironically, distilling equipment looks a lot like industrial absolutely yeah industrial uh, steel mill yeah. equipment so like they, like they have a visual similarity i said let's do, do the lighting so we talked to the electrician that actually did that project over there so what lighting are you using and they told us the brands and everything else like that so we brought in the same lighting so we try to try to just honor the steel mill by lighting our 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 background the same way plus it gives you that beautiful ambiance when you're in here in the distillery with the 25 foot glass window it really and, is dramatic yeah and mm -hmm. it really sets the stage mm -hmm. for what you're going to be enjoying in your glass whether it's the craft cocktails yep. that you're providing and producing mm -hmm. or it's just if you want to do a flight yep. it really does set the stage for what you're going to enjoy we wanted people to feel like that we offer something special here in Bethlehem. Not only are we honoring the local community and trying to mimic some of the some of the visuals that you see in the community going way back, 
but at the same time let people know that if you're in New York or in or in London or Paris or Chicago, that this place could fit in there too, that we can hang with the big cities, that we wanted to honor the, the, the town, but at the same time offer us something that, like you said, it's dramatic, it's bold, it's big when you walk in here, yet it has that connection to, to the craft because it, there's no point that you're sitting in our distillery that you don't see the equipment. Every seat in the distillery has a view of the equipment, so the whole idea is to always let people know, no matter what you're doing here, production is what we do. And that, that, that beautiful vision of the, of the distilling equipment. And I think it's the most beautiful industrial equipment in the world is distilling right. equipment. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So let's go back a little bit. You've, you're an eight-year-old driving a tractor sure. yeah. yep. on a winery, mm-hmm. you know, in a winery in a vineyard. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you have any sense of where you were? I mean, was it a job for you growing up in, uh, on a vineyard? You know, or was it something more that was more of a connection? Did you feel sure. like, hey, yeah. I'm part of the family. Mm-hmm. This is where my roots are. What were you thinking at the I, time? I think that's an excellent question because it's hard to realize it when you grow up in it. It's hard to realize the uniqueness of it. You know, my friends that had uh, his father's a plumber, I just sometimes thought that was cooler. You know, like that was that was neater. Look, your daddy's got all these unique talents and skills. You know, someone else's mom who worked at the blouse mills because where we grew up, this was a big mill, uh, blouse mill community. All that industry has failed since then and it's really kind of depressed the area up where I live. But in general, I saw these jobs. I said, well, you know, what, what is this weird thing that we do? We, you know, we, my family... You just wake different. up, do your you know, you're always involved in that, yeah. but do you see the significance or not was yet. it a love not for a, you? Not as at a the kid time. at eight years old. Now, at eight years old, the beauty of that is you want to stick an eight year old boy on a tractor. Oh, heck, yeah. heck yeah, man. Yeah. Let's, let's do this because yeah. this, is, this is the ultimate dream. One of the funny stories is my, my dad would actually pick me up and get the tractor moving and set me on the seat. And at the end of the row, I wasn't tall enough to hit the clutches or the brakes. So the only thing I could do is steer. So they had to jump back on the tractor to make the, to make the clutch moves and, and the brakes because all I was able to do is steer. But um, by eight years old, I was pretty competent and trustworthy. Uh, they put in a low enough gear. And as long as uh, nothing was in my way, I could okay. always steer around it. So we, you know, I kind of went into it that way, loving that part of it. Um, having the 60-acre adventure playground for a little boy to run around and check it all out. I had an older sister, same thing. We would explore and, and see what was going on. So I think it gave me a, um, a spirit of wonder. It gave me the spirit of, of um, curiosity because there's nobody there guiding you and you're just kind of like um, figuring out how nature works and how the world works. And I thought it was a really great way to grow up. Um, uh, not unlike today where you, you know, you're distracted by so many things. I think um, you have so many unique uh, things to look at. And I was nothing... We didn't have television growing up. We grew up quite um, kind of in a hippie style household. Okay. So, uh, you know, go outside and figure it out. That was what we did. So, and I think that gave me that, that curiosity, that exploration of looking for things, but also gave me a fearlessness because you just, you, you just, if you want to try something new, you just got to go for it. There's nobody there holding your hand or teaching you what to do. You don't have 10 friends in the neighborhood that did it first to show you how. You just got to do it first, you're first on your own. And I thought that was kind of a unique way to grow up. I was a mile from the closest neighbor, about four miles to my closest friend. So if you wanted to go somewhere, you hopped on your BMX bike and you, you rode for an hour and 40 minutes to get to your friend's house. So, yeah. You grew up with an appreciation of wine. Mm-hmm. Were, there, were there wines or varietals that you enjoyed more or that you have for today? So. You know, I found myself really interested in the marketing side of things. So sometimes, um, you know, the challenge of, of, of which wine to sell and how to how to make sure that the, the 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 marketplace, the consumer, is interested in and things like that, I found it really pulled me into that side initially. A lot of product um, rebranding and every and things along that nature of really trying to get a, a, an identity for the business. 
So I think that was kind of where I contributed the most. Now, at the same time, I can drive tractors, I can work in fields, I can do any of those things. So I was always doing the physical labor stuff. But on the side, I was finding myself wanting to rebrand, reimagine how things work, and, and have the, the consumers start to understand what our vision is, who we are, and give us, give us an, uh, an identity. And I think that's what was my biggest contribution as I went through like my 20s. Uh, at work was that kind of spirit of like, hey, what, what would interest people? What brings people in? Now, at the same time, I was a vineyard manager, so I'm growing the grapes. So, yeah, I mean, certain grapes were very interesting. At that time, Chambersan was a was a, uh, a newcomer to the industry, right. and everybody was putting it in. So, we were starting to work with our Chambersan grapes and, uh, and a few other things like that, and watching the old varietals, how they can perform in a different way maybe than what you initially uh, designed them to do. And, um, and then also just maintaining a beautiful vineyard. There's some definitely lot of pride in that when you can look back at the end of the day at what you your vineyard and and the work you've done and just feel so satisfied because it's it's stunningly beautiful when you look back at it yeah growing up in a vineyard mm -hmm. what were the first spirits that you remember trying okay or yeah. what did you start to feel like this is where this is this is what my palate enjoys sure. were there things well, that you would gravitate towards? yeah i think it's a unique story as well because i wasn't specifically pulled in by the glamorous whiskeys or the scotches or things that most people now look at as like, oh, who, you know, who's the utmost experts? So like, oh, this whiskey expert or this, this scotch expert. I was in the clear spirits. I love gin. Um, it's still, still my favorite spirit. Uh, I love a, a well-made vodka cocktail because I just love how a vodka can be somewhat invisible and it just allows all the other ingredients to shine and showcase themselves. I had a tendency to have a little bit of a sweet tooth, so I like things that had a little bit of a sweetness to them initially. Uh, some of the funny stories that we had when we'd go out to dinner, my wife would order a, um, a scotch and I'd order some sort of mixed drink sometimes they'd end up being coming to the table pink and they would always give it to the wrong person right. my wife would get the pink drink and I would get the and she I would get her scotch I'm like uh, no thank you you know everything else so once we started this project up and I knew I was passionate about the gin and the, and the vodka I said well, I better learn whiskey I better really learn what this is all about and figure out what's happening so you know with a little pinch of the nose and a, and a sip of an old-fashioned I was like okay all right I, I kind of that's all right that's that's decent and then, you know, weekly I would kind of make myself a beautiful a Manhattan or something like that and just kind of force them down until one day. And it was just that day it happened where I was like, that is delicious. And that may be the most delicious thing I ever had. I, I had poured some rye whiskey um, and, uh, and in case you're curious, Whistle Pig. Okay. And, yeah, and, uh, we can shout out to whoever yeah, you want yeah, to. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's uh, out of Vermont. And uh, it's, a very, it's a standard whiskey. It's, it's a high end, but, you know, um, but not incredibly expensive. And I took a sip and I was like, wow, that was really delicious. And um, that was that kind of started pushing me towards the darker spirits at that point. Still love my gin and vodka, but now I'm passionate about the dark stuff. So uh, we found that in the process of making spirits, that that's where the passion can lie too. Vodkas and things like that are a little bit simpler in a sense. They're you know you, you have your botanical. Um, uh, balances in the gins or, or, or let's just say your filtration in the vodkas but whiskey's where you can really kind of play and dig your teeth into and do it different ways and, and that's the beauty about you like, have yeast you have the barrel that's right yeah. you have a lot of different mm -hmm. areas yep. that are going to impart flavor that's right even the terroir of where you buy Absolutely. the grain from is going to taste a little bit to, hey you get a little more of a honey characteristic in central PA versus northern New York state or something along those lines so we started to kind of you know develop those those um, ideas and started looking into them and the first place I decided to look to is my old hippie days you know growing up with the on the in the family farm and the and the and i said who does my mom know you know wh who do the people you know well let's see 
So I contacted the guy that I thought, you know, would, would kind of know his thing. And he's an all organic uh, fertilizer company guy, you know, he's just been making fertilizer out of chicken poop, you know, his whole life. <laughs> and, um, you know, and really brilliant, brilliant man. And I said, Hey, you know, who do you know? And he handed me a list of like 20 places in Pennsylvania that are organic, GMO free, you know, all these people that are doing it the old, the way that it would so have been So you done. already started sourcing your product before we even opened. Before you even opened. Oh yeah. Well before. Yeah. When or at what point yeah. did you go to see how the distillation process was? Did you go to any classes? Did you look it up on right, YouTube? So, so this is the how, part that how did you that, do that? This is the part that usually surprises everybody. The first uh, batch I ever made was here at my distillery. So one of the best lessons. Now, are we talking about the still that's behind that's that glass? Right. We have full commercial size the first time out. So you had no idea. You, no, you, no, you, no you've read, you've, you've, you've thought. I have a marketing degree, remember. I'm, I'm also going oh, to back it up and <laughs> say worse, make it worse. That I didn't even have any science in my background. Okay. Yeah, you know, I have I've exclusively a marketing degree, but I have a lifetime of making wine and being right. in the you have that and, and doing this right. and doing this stuff. So I make the joke. I know how. I, know how, I don't know why. You know, so someone says, hey, what's going on in there? Like magic. You know, okay. that's, you know, right. Sometimes that's the joke I make. Well, it's magic, but in give me three days and then magic's going to be delicious. And then we're going to distill it and you're going to see what happens. So the kind of having that confidence, I said, my mom gave me a good lesson in life. It's ready, go, set. And you just kind of go before you're set because you're going to learn all the set in the go. And, and in America's way of, of business plans and, and focus groups, it gets in the way of the vision and the idea of like, hey, let's just go because you're going to learn the best lessons being there and living it and, and tasting it and, and having a, a few shoulder shrugs and a few head scratches. And, and I think that's the best learning environment there is, especially in an industry that had nobody before me. I'm the first one since, since Prohibition here in the Lehigh Valley to open up. There's nobody to ask. There's no paved road ahead of us. And we're trying to pave that road as we go. And I'm coming into it again with a marketing degree going, all right, let's see what we can do here. But the bottom line was I had such a great reputation at the winery. We could not, we could not diminish that reputation by doing something poorly here. So the goal from the beginning is that you'll figure it out, but you cannot mess up. You know, you got to get it right. And we had a couple consultants that we did some emailing with. And, uh, you know, kind of helped us with some basic ideas and, and concepts. And I also had a, uh, a winemaker at the winery at the time came over with me and, and assisted me. This uh, uh, Maria Sebastianelli, she came over and helped me out because she had a little bit of the background by making all the wine at the winery for so long. So, so yeah, what was yeah. the first spirit? You turn on the distillery. Yeah, yeah. You turn on the still. Yeah. What was the first spirit? Vodka. That, vodka. Yeah, and that's usually the easiest one to kind of to, to process uh, in general. You know, a lot of people ask the question, "How long does it take?" I don't really know because it's it's not linear when you produce. Right. But you know, 10, 20 days, you can make yourself a vodka if you kind of stick stick your head into it. And it was a way to get the the cocktail bar open, the restaurant open, and gave us uh, uh, two good things to work with. We did vodka and gin on opening day. And truthfully, on opening day, we opened the doors and I had vodka at the bar. I was still putting gin in the bottle in the basement as people were coming in the front door already. And we already, on the cocktail list, the people were ordering gin as I'm filling the bottle. Uh, siphon fill with a hose. We didn't even have a bottling machine yet. So, uh, you know, just kind of winging it as we went. And, um, you know, that's the thing when you commit to a date and you say, this is the day you're going to open and everything else. And you just try to stick you, you, to it no matter how ready to you are. word. Yeah, you do. So, so, and that's how I learned distilling was right here in the room. Truthfully, the very first thing I ever distilled was water. Because just to make sure I knew how to work the equipment. So you ran the equipment yeah, to make yeah. sure to work. Yeah, like, all right, check it all out. And I ran it multiple times with just water just to kind of see if I knew what I was doing and that I wouldn't blow anything up and, and break anything. Because there's a, you know, quite a bit to look at in there. Not having that background mm -hmm. and not having that experience, how did you choose the equipment that you wanted to use? Sure. I, that was a little bit easier because 
it was the industry wasn't quite ready. Okay. And uh, sometimes we're able to find companies that were more ready than others. Um, all the equipment was pretty decent out there that was being sold at the time um, because there was only uh, like five choices commercially, something big enough to do what we're doing here. Uh, and again, this is tiny, but there was you know, a lot of smaller distilling companies out there making small equipment, but somebody that can make something that can make a commercial go. Uh, we were looking around and we found one that was able to deliver at a, certain, at a, at a specific timeline. Um, would I buy it again? Maybe, maybe not. You know, okay. it's one of those things where I, I may, I may have changed my mind um, uh, on a couple pieces of equipment, but there's other elements of it that I'm completely satisfied with. It's very traditional system. It's very uh, kind of, um, it has all the modern conveniences, but it also has the, the beauty of how it was done for hundreds of years. So we want to make sure that we're kind of doing things the old traditional way and everything. So our equipment has been working out really well for us. But yeah, there's always problems inside everything of else. Of course. Uh, but, you know, we, we were comparing prices between certain companies and they can be dramatically different. It's like a hundred percent difference. So, uh, you know, it's time sometimes when you're starting early on to your budget oriented. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up feeling pretty comfortable working with um, artisan stills. Uh, and it worked out pretty good for us. These are just workhorses. We just, you know, we we'll just run them as much as we can. And uh, I actually had today. We have a guy in servicing one of my pieces of equipment. It's the first time since we opened. So you know, that's not too bad. that's a Almost that's a years. tribute to the quality of sure. what you're purchasing. Yeah. 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 So let's talk about your spirits a little bit. Mm -hmm. You started with the vodka. The base of the vodka is. We use a neutral spirit here, okay. Uh, but we do redistill and do special filtration, okay, uh, to go for that high, that high quality. Initially, we were doing all the distillation in, in house, and we were finding that it wasn't a, there was no competitive advantage in vodka. Our vodka fans love that our spirit is high quality and you know kind of hangover free uh, kind of stuff. But um, they don't really care where it came from. It's a different type of audience. We're like a whiskey audience because like where your grains come from, what's your mash bill. They're a little more curious about how you got there. Yes. Where the vodka audience is more about like how good is it now. And so we found that over time that that made a much better uh, uh, direction for us. And we were able to focus a little bit more on distillation and filtration. And uh, until to date, we keep winning awards with our vodka, which I'm sometimes surprised even how does even anybody judge a vodka competition? It, it should taste like nothing, smell like nothing. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the more nothing you are, is that the better you are? And, that, and that's kind of how I determine it. Truthfully, if I take a sip of our vodka and I don't get much there at all, I go, okay, we didn't. that's a good one. That one, this is delicious. Yeah. Where uh, if anything, though, on ours, because we do, it is corn. Um, I do notice a nice little marshmallow note in there, okay. a, little, a little mild sweetness. And I think that's just that. That's your brain working with, with the concept that it's corn. It knows that. It knows that it's sweet. There is no sweetness there. But, um, you know, we put it up against a Kettle One, a Grey Goose any day, and it performs really well. And we, we're super happy with the results. Yeah. So you take the vodka. Mm -hmm. Now you move to gin. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about your gin. So the gin was a – we were looking for something that's cocktail friendly. I think a lot of times and, – and I'm a gin guy, so – I love every type. Um, so when I'm talking about one is not as good as the one that I make, I don't mean it's a lesser gin. It's just what we've chosen the direction to go with ours. So what I'll say a lot of London dries is if they're very juniper forward, they do what they do really well, make a great gin and tonic. They blend perfectly with a lime and things like that. But beyond that, it's really hard to work with it because that's a very specific flavor note. You know, some people say Christmas trees, some people say other things like that in there. So it's a very specific flavor profile. So we said, hey, that kind of limits it. So as long as we stay authentic to the juniper in ours, but hey, let's do a new world style. We're going to put eight, ten botanicals in there. We're not going to be afraid to kind of put a lot of stuff out there. 
and um, and pushing. What are there. some of the botanicals you're highlighting? So without for, giving away yeah, the sure, whole story, I won't give the whole recipe. But yeah. um, things like um, so, of course, juniper, um, orange peel. This is the one that I think is the most essential in ours because this is what makes it so friendly to other other ingredients. When you have something that's citrus forward, it's just welcoming to other ingredients. Anything from berries to herbs to mints, um, you can bring any of those any from any direction in there, and it's really playful with other things. So that's why, like again, juniper. We definitely have the orange peel. It makes it unique, but things like licorice, orris root, um, um, uh, nutmeg, uh, things like that just gives it just a, a unique balance. And none of those botanicals are the forward one, maybe other than the citrus. So they're balanced. And I think that's the big thing. I, I am a huge fan of these boutique gins that kind of go all out there with something here and there. It's not one that we make currently, but um, I do like when people go out there. But we wanted this something that came through and people are like, wow, that's just perfect. That just works in every drink that they want to make. And that's how we came up with the recipe that I thought was, was balanced. And it was, uh, it was very cocktail friendly because that's what we do really well here. Knowing that you're a gin guy and mm -hmm. you appreciate gin, because the funny conversation I have with people is, where you do have a lot of new, what I, I call it the new American style, yep, and I yep. or, or the new craft style gin, yep, mm -hmm. because it's if you talk to somebody, and I'm sure you have this conversation yep. quite often, when you'll say, hey, you know, what do you have? And oh, we have a gin. Oh, I don't like gin. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah. It's, it's almost as if you're trying to give him like syrup of epicac sure. or yep, something. Yep. Or I, I never understood that one. You know, basically, gin is flavored vodka, and the same person will like vodka, but they don't like gin. So. Didn't quite understand it, other than maybe it's, you know, again, usually the difference between 80 and 90 proof could be the big difference in people when they're drinking it. They go, hey, gin makes me go crazy. I'm like, well, you're just probably just a little drunker than you would have been on a different type of drink. Um, you're right. It can be the proof about it, but sure. I think yeah. a lot of people, it's it's more of that Christmas the, tree the accent yeah, where yeah, yeah. all mm -hmm. that is forward and yeah. they don't really get in the other experience. Yeah, yeah. But for you being a gin guy, yeah. what was it like the first time your gin came off of your still sure. yeah. for you? What was that experience? So uniquely it's fear <laughs> you know what I mean like I, I, I actually say that's probably not, not what's unique I think we're all a little afraid because at that point you don't really know what you're tasting you know you're hoping it's there you know I have a tendency to bring some litmus tests around at, at moments like that where I'll bring in some standard gins that I'm, I'm familiar with, ones that I'm comfortable with that I know is there. Because at that moment, you're hypersensitive to everything. So you're trying to taste it and be like, I don't know, is that too much juniper? I can't tell. Like, I can't tell right. what's going on. You start getting a little bit nervous, anxiety. So, you know, those moments are always anxious. So, you know, we have over almost 30 staff here. Um, so there's times where you'll kind of allow the staff to kind of do their tasting and just see what their the seat of the pants responses to things like that um and then and then like i said usually then the final thing i do is some sort of litmus test versus something i'm comfortable with let's just say like a uh, hendrix or something like that where you're like okay this is a nice nice balanced flavored gin i like it let's see where we're at compared to that and um and you go like oh man like we did a really good job here that's like, got to be know, such you know, a like you're, you're just yeah. very I, because yeah. this is your this is almost you're giving birth to something sure. that's been yeah. in your mind yeah. you've been sourcing the ingredients and then it finally reaches a glass or whatever you're tasting it yeah. out of yeah. that must be just an overwhelming proud experience a great feeling well, that and and like I said, you're, you're uncertain and you're proud at the same time. It's, right. a, it's, a, it's an awkward feeling. And when you start getting the validation from the people around you, say, hey, this is really good or anything else. Now, as the owner and the distiller, I, all my employees are always going to tell me it's good. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is like I, I signed a paycheck. So I do also understand where it's coming from.
from, but I, I, you know, I always encourage them, no, like really, like where, where's this, you know, what is this giving you? Like what kind of feeling are you getting out of this? What's the flavor there? And uh, there's times we take some pretty big risks with some spirits where I've made some big changes in a recipe, but already has an audience. So I got to make sure it doesn't, in the final end, it kind of mimics what was going on before. And those are the scariest of all. Because, but, what, but, yeah. but think about it. Mm -hmm. For you... You you can turn the battleship around. Sure, yeah. you're running a little PT cruiser here, a mm -hmm. little little mm -hmm. PT boat. Yep. Where if you decide one day, I'll take this and add this, and this is some ideas. I, we just want to do a seasonal. Yep. You can do a seasonal gin, yep. or just twist the what you're doing a little bit. Yep. You have the ability to do that. Sure, yeah, and and we we constantly talk about. It. Actually, we want to do a, a small line of boutique gins here, maybe ones that have certain botanical forward. You know, maybe a, a lavender-based one, and then a, a juniper-based another one. You know, so each of them has a a character and identity. And uh, first people get involved when we do that is our chef and our bartenders. And uh, so it's not just coming from the distillery distillery side. Say, hey, let's bring in people that have incredibly uh, advanced palates, understand profiles, things that go well together. So in that in that case, like we've had long discussions, we actually have a few recipes already figured out between us. Um, and then you get into the for us, it's then the logistical side. Of, you know, one thing that we don't we always talk about the glory and the glamour and the and the, the storybook a part of, of owning a distillery. But now we got compliance and TTB and everything else like that. So sometimes what will back me off of a, a small batch seasonal is just, you have to go through labeling and yeah, everything yeah. that you have to do and to get not, to that point. And it's not right. quick. And right. and right now it's specifically long. I'm not sure why. Sometimes people say government shutdown. You know, even six months ago will still affect where things are today. But I've had a label in, in uh, approval for like five months uh, that just got approved last week finally. So those type of things like, oh, I have this amazing idea. You know, let's do this cool thing. And then you're like, cool. And then you get a designer and the designer label. And then you submit it to the federal government. And then you wait. And then by the time it's ready, you're like, well, we're kind of out of like it's winter, middle of winter now. And I was this idea was like this fall themed um, gin drink. So you have to get much further ahead uh, strategically. Um, than that, and I might be good at a lot of things, but that may not be my best thing. I, I get, love that being able to get that far ahead in yeah. my mind because then, because like, oftentimes I'm like, okay, the the fad is past, even in my own heart, like I'm ready for something new, and I'm like, oh, and I missed out on that opportunity. So that probably Steve would say that's the downside of, of the, the the seasonal or the or the small batch stuff is that you're like, man, I hope we can get it done in time. You know, this is you know, here we go. Like, let's start this way in advance. So. You know, and like I said, maybe not my strongest is long-term thought sometimes, you know, kind of dig my hands into what I'm doing now. So, Adam, I love that insight from a standpoint that what you're talking about mm -hmm. is you have the creative side. You have the artisan side. You mm -hmm. have the, you know, the, the, the connection with the earth side yep. of what you do. But you also have a mindset to start to say, this is a business for us. Sure. Yeah. You need to bring in principal partners, your chef, your yep. bartenders, mm -hmm. and say, you think it through to a point. Yep. And you're almost saying, if we want to do this, we're looking at an 18-month window for release. Yep. What's the season going to be? Yep. Where are we going to source our ingredients? Mm -hmm. All those things that you mentioned, which as people look at being a business owner, yep. that's significant to what you have to do. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that I look at it, like 
you know, we're in a similar, I, I own a winery as well. We have a distillery, you know, I look at the beer industry and I, sometimes with, with, with envy, you look at the beer industry like, oh, you guys collaborated last week and this week you get to try it together. Yeah. And like all of a sudden you made this big craze. Like it is so hard to build that momentum in the distilling world to be like, hey, check it out. I'm doing something awesome and amazing in the mashing side of things today. You know, you're, you're uh, selfieing on your, on your Facebook page <laughs> about this awesome new thing right. you're doing and be like, hey man, check us back in three years and you'll be able to see the results of what I'm doing today and that's really hard to get any kind of momentum or, or, or vision behind that or anything else so sometimes like we look at the beer industry like envious like it's almost like it's easy and I don't mean that it's easier to run a business no but when it, you're but, talking about introducing a new product yeah mind yeah to what you're brewing to the glass doesn't take that long yeah and and on, on the distilling side it has a um we have a, uh, a lot longer wait. All right, so you yeah. brought us some of yeah. your uh, craft spirits. Absolutely. A little flight, we'll, we'll yep. talk a little bit more, but take me through your vision and, and sure. what you were looking for. I brought out three that stand out for me today. This is kind of the, the ones that I enjoy the most, and sometimes it, it surprises people the direction that, I, that I'll that i go with, with things. Uh, I brought a spiced rum called White Witch up here. I brought our, uh, our straight bourbon um, called Tomboy which you're the first to hear about it, so you're, you're, nobody knows about it yet. Okay, this is a release. This is it. Fabulous. It's not released yet. Okay. It, but, but by the time maybe this people start listening to this, it will be our, our going bourbon. And then I also brought our Sasquatch, which is our vanilla maple bourbon. Uh, these three, to me, um, not again, coming out of marketing, but as well as the production side of things, I'm proud to make them. I'm also proud to sell them. And I think that's the thing that makes me excited about these spirits specifically. Uh, first off, our, our our Tomboy Straight Bourbon. It's a similar mash bill and recipe that we've been doing for a long time now. It's just we're get, things are getting older. They've been sitting in the barrel a little bit longer. Uh, we've refined our production processes three years ago, as we, as we just got done talking about, uh, which now you're seeing the results. So we're super proud of it. We love what we've done to this point. We've been recognized nationally and internationally with our whiskeys and bourbons already, with awards, with the ACSA and things like that. But we said, we think we're even better now. And let's use a different name. Let's start um, rebranding it because it's got a different barrel. It's got a different age. It's got a different mash bill slightly than what we were doing in the past. So that's our flagship. And that, and, and as we move forward, it's currently called the Vault Bourbon. They um, have, there's a vault yeah. here at the bank. Yeah, that's right. There's actually two chairs or I, I yep. sat in the you vault and enjoy there. a cocktail. So all the whiskey that, all the bourbon that released under the word the vault was, um, was aged in that vault. So it's an old bank vault. All the safety deposit, deposit boxes are removed and, um, and then we put them in there. What I find unique about this one is color for one it doesn't have that light caramel or, or honey color it's a much darker whiskey we use a unique barrel that has a dual char on it uh, it has a different char on the head as well as the body um, they're also cross-cut and and pre-drilled so, so you're getting, getting deeper into the that's right. yep yep uh, and you know I always tell people uh, for those who are passionate about whiskey you already know but those that are just kind of learning about it saying you know just like a, a raw onion is, is it has a lot of sulfur and strong and then you and then you heat it and what does it become it comes sweet and delicious same things happening inside that barrel when they heat and they char that barrel that beautiful caramel those butterscotch notes are coming out those are oak sugars those are from the wood 
And then when, when we put the, 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 the high proof liquor in there, that imparts into there. That's the beautiful flavors that you're tasting in whiskey. So a lot of people don't understand. That's just caramelizing, basically, just like a chef would in the kitchen. You know, back to the whole idea that we allow this whole organization to influence each other. You know, these, these influences are there. And that's why we went with the dual trawler barrel to kind of like, all right, well, we like what one flavor is. But what happens if we influence a little differently and, and add the dual char? Now, let's add the cross cutting and things like that. So we think we get a, a delicious uh, result here. And age is a little bit, I hate to use the word irrelevant, but this current batch was all aged in 15 gallon barrels. So this is just over two years old, um, where the ones in the 25 gallon barrels will probably be released at about three to three and a half years okay. old. Essentially, we believe the flavor profile will be the same at that point. We're kind of shooting for a similar profile, but that the, so I, when people say, "Oh, is it your three-year-old whiskey better or your four and a half-year-old whiskey we, better?" You're the, like, mm. the consumers got conditioned to hear about an age statement, yeah, and the allow the yeah. allow the flavor to tell the story. Mm -hmm. And what you're doing is, and what I really am intrigued in, and and is exciting mm -hmm. is you're saying, "Okay, we can play with the barrels." Yep. We can do some different things because that's really going to influence our product. Understanding, going back to that business side of things, yep. we have the need or the desire to release it at this point, and now we can let this sit a little bit longer. Yep. Mm -hmm. Still the same flavor profile that you're shooting for, yep. but just just enjoy it and don't get caught up on a age, age. Or, yeah. on an age. And the biggest thing is too, like, like what you mentioned, as a young distillery, I don't have a lot of time to wait, but those 25 about gallon barrels cost me about half as much to make as a 15 but so i made some in 15s okay. some in 25s you know <laughs> to kind of have that work for me so okay at two and a half years two years old i could release the 15 gallon barrels and be comfortable with that and knowing that maybe i'll make a little less money on that it's a little less profitable but in the, you know the 25 gallon barrels will be a year down the road from them that'll make sense and now i'm filling all my my projected needs you know and now you're creating more of a following yep mm -hmm. and this is what people are going to want to come and yep. enjoy yep. and you'll have it for years for them to do that and by staying small by not a chasing after the distribution model that a lot of distillers I mean this is a young industry yes. and they all jump in at once and everybody was calling the same distributor saying what can you do for me how can this work Who, how can you get my product out there and we said let's just and we kind of did that at first. We were in like 60 restaurants in Philadelphia in my first year we were open and, and really kind of put that push out there. So, well, what are we doing? Like that bottle's worth like seven bucks to me. You know, I'm making about seven bucks on that bottle. Let's say putting it down in, in there and they buy two a year. Like I can't live on 14 bucks a year from each client. So, you know, like how can we make this work? So we kind of retreat it back home take the quality up as high as we could with ingredients and our execution and the hospitality side of it. And like you said, you walk in here, it's dramatic. The, the staff will treat you like, you know, a million bucks and everybody treat It's right. It's an experience, not only thing, but we bring in all that quality. Now I'm selling it at, at retail dollars instead of wholesale dollars too. So I'm getting a little bit more for it. And now I put that same bottle behind my bar and it just became worth over a hundred dollars because now I'm serving 10 to $12 cocktails here. And uh, so for us, we're like, well, we can, stay. which is inexpensive. I have to say, and don't raise your prices, sure. yeah, sure. but, yeah. which is inexpensive mm -hmm. to what you're putting on the bar to the cocktail that you're sure. creating. Yeah. You know, at any other bar, it'd be top shelf. That'd be a $20. Right. You talk cocktail. about Philadelphia, sure. you talk mm -hmm. about New York, you talk mm -hmm. about other areas. That's going to be a $16 cocktail sure. yeah. all day. Yeah. So that's a tribute to you, but don't raise the price. No, no, I hear you. So 
approachability is one of my first things I always say about any business plan that we do. So it has to be approachable. So if it's you know too expensive, too weird, too unique, too too anything, you know the general public won't want to come here. We want a special place that everybody feels cool at. You know what I mean? Like everybody wants to come. We don't, but we want it to be special. But if you get too special, sometimes only a certain amount of certain people feel welcome. Absolutely. So you know, I always tell people if you come in here in a suit and tie, or if you come in here after the gym, both people feel comfortable here, and that I have no clue how we pulled that off. But that's something that we found that the comfortability, the approachability of our place is really open to all people. I, I can yeah. share from my perspective. Mm-hmm. I think you pull quote pulled it off yeah. because of the staff yep. and the people that I've met. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them has taken a sense of ownership sure. yeah. in this building in your vision. So the vision comes from you, mm-hmm. the direction comes from you and your wife Kate. Yep. And then what happens is they take a sense of ownership. Sure. They make you feel welcome. Yep. Oh, you don't have a reservation on Saturday night? Let's see what we can do. We'll, we'll work as hard and as we can. And that's happened. Yeah, yeah. It's we'll happened. Yeah. I, I've been sure. here for that. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, did you get in? Yeah. I'm surprised. A, but, a great, but, <laughs> but we got a but, great seat at the bar. We made it work. Yeah. You yeah. made it work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's what I can tell you yeah. is, it's, hey, come on in. Enjoy what we have. Your menu's fabulous. Yep. Um, and I would say, and I don't want to get too far down the trail because we could probably sure. talk about different rabbit holes yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But what I would say is, you to me, and I don't, I don't want to speak about any of the other distilleries mm-hmm. or the other craft distilleries in the state of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. You, to me, are one of the first who have incorporated a restaurant mm-hmm. with the distillery, but. What you're creating, the distilled spirits, are the focus here, sure. yeah. and then they're complemented complimented by the food. People are coming for the food, and they get to enjoy that, yep. but they're really walking through the door because they know they're going to get a great spirit and a great cocktail. Well, not only that, is that this restaurant gave us the, gave us the opportunity to, to tell that to so many different people, and I think that's been the great opportunity for us. Say, hey, we have this amazing restaurant, world-class chef. I mean, our food is spectacular. I can't even keep up. We call him Walking Google. He knows like everything about everything, our chef, so, you know. Uh, it's kind of a, it's kind of one of those things like how does he know so much? But he's got it all figured out. But you take all the that 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 popularity of the restaurant, people coming in here, and all of a sudden they leave here going like, you know what? They got a damn good bourbon too. Like they don't, they came in not realizing how good of a distillery we were, and then they come in and realize like that's my favorite bourbon ever. And we're getting a now where I'm, I'm places if I'm wearing a logo T-shirt, you know, I, and I could be in you know Jersey. We don't sell in New Jersey, and people are like oh social still love your bourbon. You're like. What? Like, you got to be kidding me. This yeah, because so you're coming cool. across the river. Yeah. And this has become, here's the thing. What you've created is a destination. Mm-hmm. I know that when I come here, I'm yeah. going to get a great meal. But more importantly, what you're producing in the bottle yeah. is top notch. Well, it's it's fabulous. You, let's let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. Are you are you ready for no, that? No, I, I love how you're I'm, you're, yeah. you're leading the podcast. It's yeah, great. Sure. <laughs> so so what we have is our is our bourbon in front of us. This is our flagship. Again, this is gonna this is gonna be called Tomboy. It doesn't even have a label on it yet. We're still getting through the end. And how did you come up with that specific name? So we took a. I always take travel as an opportunity to to influence um, design. Especially when it comes to to a spirit. So we were in um, we were in Telluride, Colorado, taking a little ski trip. Um, you'll notice that almost all my influence have something to do with skiing because okay. I, yeah, I love to get out there or dirt bikes, uh, one or the other. But um, so we're, we're skiing. I said, hey, let's let this experience you know influence us. Our new bourbon. We want this amazing new look. This is going to be the this is our flagship. What can it be? So uh, moving around town, we've had all these great influence, but. What kept coming back to us is the reason the town was there, the original mine that was in town is called the Tomboy Mine. And we said, you know, you know, we found all these other influences, but that's the reason all this is here. 
And we said, I love your sense of history. I love your sense of place in history. Thank you. And even though that's Colorado, Mm -hmm. you're still paying homage to what got you here today Mm -hmm. to create that. Yeah, and, there was, and I think and there, that's and really, really cool. So you fall in love with the, 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 the tomboy idea, and then we go visit the local museum. My daughter is 11, so we to take her out of school, you got to make sure it's educational. So when you go on a ski trip, <laughs> make sure you hit the museum while you're in town, and then you have the excuse that uh, it was an educational trip. But we went to the museum and fell in love with the idea of what was going on in that era. You're like, this is just amazing that the, uh, the whether it was the pharmaceutical or the doctor stuff or the old or the old uh, you know um, uh, mining stuff. It just was so unique to us, and that's how we found. This the image that's on the label. It has the old chemist mask. We call it the Birdman, and uh, it's intriguing. It brings a lot of curiosity to you, and that's what we always want with our bourbons. In the past, we always had that same idea: curiosity, like. What, what's going on with that one? It makes you want to taste it just right. in the packaging alone. So that curiosity, it, there's nothing, like you said, it, it, even though it's from Colorado, the influence, but we're bringing that home, that curiosity, that, that idea that people are like, hey, what is that? What's going on with that weird chemist well, You mask come from a marketing background. Mm-hmm. So the first thing you want people to see are basically that opening, the opening credits. Mm-hmm. What's going to yep. draw you in? Mm-hmm. And then it's the opening of the bottle or the pouring, and yep. and that starts to give you that sense of intrigue. Yep. I can't wait to you know have that nose and, 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 and not taste being able to take your eyes off of it makes you want to drink it more. You yep. know what I mean? Like you just like oh, I can't stop looking at this image on this label. <laughs> like, this is really curious to me. So you know, then that way you, you really want to drink it. In the wine business, it, it associates a little bit closer. But I would say I can get you once with the label, but I can't get you again. Unless the product's amazing inside that bottle, would you say the label is more recognized in the wine business by what keeps people back because that's what they're visually attaching themselves to? I think the I think the identity of each bottle is becoming so important nowadays that people are forgetting the brand and just remembering the product, and that's why I think the label is so important because you know you walk into your wine shop and there's a thousand bottles on the shelf. But because you're programmed to the one you love, you can spot it. You can find it a mile away. And you can spot it among those thousands on a quick glance. Where one you're not so familiar with, you can stare all day long and we'll go right past it. So again, that whole idea that the label brings people in, they also are familiar with it. But that's why I said that curiosity, that intrigue. What is that one? That one's a little bit different. Why is this one different? And I'll take a quick peek at it. So... So that's what went into our the design on this one. But what's more important is the what the makeup of it. This is made out of seventy um, percent Pennsylvania corn, twenty um, percent Pennsylvania rye, and ten percent Irish malts in this one. Okay. And um, we go, we imported from Cork, Ireland, and just the the lifetime experience of of the malters in Ireland. They just have centuries of experience and the flavors were there and the availability in the United States is there too, which is which is really nice because um, some exotic ingredients m- may not be the easiest to find. So ingredients like that makes it really easy. Since then, our bourbon recipes, we talked about earlier, uh, you know, see in three years kind of scenario. Since then, our bourbon recipes are 100% Pennsylvania grown. So we are making um, all of our bourbons with 100% Pennsylvania corn, rye, and now malts. Okay. Um, but uh, but when we'll you see started, in, we'll when see you in started a couple that, years on When that, you started, yeah. that wasn't here. I mean, no, you no, had to source right. products outside of Pennsylvania. That's right. And then you develop a consistent flavor profile that mm-hmm. you want to make sure stays. Yep. So now you're, you yep. touched on terroir. Yep. You're bringing in products that were originally weren't going into your bottle, weren't yep. going on the still. Mm-hmm. Now you have to figure that out to make sure you get that same flavor profile your customers I, you know, expect. I'm, I'm actually going to push back on that concept a little bit because I agree. We were trying to find a flavor profile, sort of. Okay. I'm a young distillery. If I say in the first five years that I know everything there is about bourbon and that's the right flavor, I'm doing myself a disservice. Like I, I hope that over the years that no matter 
matter how great it is today, it gets greater. And if I stick to one profile forever, because I'm, I keep searching for that one thing, because I'm trying to satisfy a, a, a uniformity with my consumer base, right. I'm not afraid to swing for the fences and miss, because I want to see if there's something better I can do. And there's some better way to pull it off. I know some distilleries out there, I'm sure they got a recipe from a consultant and they're still running it, you know, three, five, eight years later. And what did you learn? You know, what did you discover about yourself? You know, what, what did, what was there that that taught you something different? No, you're just repeating a process. And I don't ever want to do that. Here's the beauty of what the industry you're doing. Mm -hmm. You can do, everybody does them. You can, you're doing Adam, Mm -hmm. you're doing your vision and that's exciting. And, and what you're, you know, the benefit is as a consumer, as a customer, I get to enjoy that. Sure. Yeah. That's the best part. The However side, you want to do it, yeah. I get to enjoy it. And the beauty I'm of, selfish. Yeah. The beauty of that is if you have batch 19 on your shelf and it's half empty and I come out with batch 20, there's a reason for you to buy it. Absolutely. It's not exactly the same as the one that's on your shelf. So it almost works in, a, in an advantage Keep for me. Keep everybody coming back to see I, what you're going to do some, next. I have some fans that have every single bottle I've ever made. <laughs> you know, they need to start drinking more. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and they're all in different levels of drink, but, you know, but they've had every one of them. And sometimes they'll say to me, hey, batch 12 was like my favorite of all time. 15's good. I liked your 15. Okay. 16's great, but my year 12 was my favorite ever. Can I go back to batch 12? I don't know. Like, I'd have to look at my notes and what did I do different? And sometimes that's what makes it a craft. It's not a science. You know, there's all this is science and all that comes together. That's why they call craft distilling, not not science distilling. That's right. Right? And, And that I can... Make some changes and see some 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 advances. Some customers may think I went the wrong way. Some customers may think I'm going the right way. That's the beauty of it all. I mean, that's the boutique. That's the craft. That's the side of people go. This is you got to go check this place out. It's interesting, you know, and you got to see what they're up to because it, it you know it, it stir the pot a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's let's let yeah, we, yeah. we've 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 nosed it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, immediately I I smell sweetness. Um, you get a little bit of the alcohol, but it's not very high. Forty two percent. Mm. That dual char on that barrel gives you a, a nice hit of tannin on the rear of the tongue, but man, that sweet on the front to the mid mid tongue just just kind of allows all those those flavors to happen at once. Just like food, um, salt, fat, acid, heat. You have to, every meal has to have all those elements in there. Same thing with your whiskey; you got to have all those elements in there. If we had beautiful oak flavors and no sweet, it wouldn't work. You know, you need the right amount of sweet with the right amount of bitter with the right amount of um, mouthfeel with the right amount of then, then let's say cereal notes in there. Um, you need that balance, and I think this is something that we we get a huge hit of flavor with this whiskey, especially at at under four years. It's a two two year plus um, bourbon. I taste toasted marshmallow. Mm-hmm. I get a little bit of dark fruit in, mm-hmm. in the in the flavor. Yeah, but I'm, I'm really enjoying where the rye starts to come out mm-hmm. and the heat, but not an overall burn. Twenty percent that rye is somewhat high. I mean, that's is. sort of a high rye recipe, but and and but Pennsylvania rye is mild, so you're, it's there, but it's it's not overwhelming. Yeah. And you you finish with the oak, mm-hmm. and you can almost get a you, you get that smoky finish, mm-hmm. and I enjoy that smoky mm-hmm. finish on that. And I think that's from the dual char. Barrel, you that smokies the la- that's the the heads are charred up a little higher than the body, and it, it, this is actually a nice sip. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm getting cherries mm-hmm. through this a little bit, a little citrus as it goes through. The the beauty, what I always say to people, you know, uh, especially an amateur drinker, someone that doesn't think they know um, what they're tasting. I say, me and you taste exactly the same things. I just have 
happen to have a whole bunch of vocabulary words. I know how to explain <laughs> it, and you don't. But that's literally the only difference between an amateur drinker and, and a professional is that, or you know, whatever you want to call it, like a connoisseur style, is that the person that has the connoisseur has just got the vocab to explain what they're tasting, yes. to explain it, everything else. You know, when you when I go to a tasting like that, and you bring somebody in, and I start saying things like that, burnt marshmallow and cherries and things like that. It lights up the eyes of the person that doesn't have those vocab words. It's like exactly you have the exact you exactly explain what I'm tasting, but I didn't know how to explain it. As yeah. I'm as it's sitting on my palate, I'm, I'm getting like almost a grass, like like fresh cut grass. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that grainy note that you get in there, and again, yeah. I call it cereal is what I call it. Sometimes. Okay, every yeah. there's yeah. more vocabulary. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, I, I like to be able to really taste it in there, and I think it's. Um, it, you know, it's something special, and it's again because it's all made right here in the building, all in one one shot. Whether it's uh, you know we mash it, we 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 ferment it, we distill it, we age it, and then we bottle it all in this little tiny building. You know, we're, we're really proud of what we've done there. So, which is the next one you want to sample? So we're going to do something to make everybody here. a little more jealous. Yeah, we're going to do something a little bit different here. This is called Sasquatch, and this is one of our more playful bourbons. Um, this is the same basic recipe around the same age. It is straight, so um, we don't label it as such. Um, but this one is over two years old, and this has been, um, I soak uh, Madagascar vanilla beans in it for about a week. It's got a very mm-hmm. vanilla note to it. And then we use, um, instead of any kind of sweetener, we use maple syrup. And what a lot of people get confused because this is called a vanilla maple bourbon is they go, oh, like a maple, I've had maple whiskeys before. It's all done with flavorings. And just like Aunt Jemima syrup, that is not what maple syrup tastes like. Aunt Jemima and that no. stuff you buy on the shelf. If you ever get real Vermont maple syrup, or even better, Pennsylvania maple syrup, um, it's very delicate, very light, doesn't have a lot of flavor, more sweet, um, thin. You know, it's a, it's, it's a very delicate and light character where maple syrup flavoring is very heavy and powerful, you know, everything else. Well, so it's over su- there's so much sugar in there. But that's not what maple syrup right. tastes like. So we wanted the authenticity of, of what real maple will do. And basically, I think it just acts as almost like a little mild sweetener. Um, gives it a, a mild a maple taste. The vanilla is the real standout character in this one. And this one is just drinkable all day long, especially now with the fall season coming. I can see where with this, mm-hmm. it was thought through and so many different cocktail and so many different mm-hmm. pairings that you could do with uh, this. The old fashioned. Uh, yeah. Vanilla maple I mean, uh, old fashioned is the best thing in the world. This is yeah. almost like flavor. It's mm-hmm. like fall in a glass. It's, it's right. like fall in my Glencairn. the big differences between this and what you're going to find out there is it's just done with real things. Maple syrup and vanilla beans. We didn't do any other tricks. And a, and a real legit two-year-old bourbon. And uh, so we wanted to make sure we stay authentic to the bourbon. You know, I think a lot of flavored spirits forget where they came from because they're like, hey, I taste just like strawberries. <laughs> you know, look, look how strawberry I am. It's like, well, you know what would be a great strawberry spirit? One that has a hint of strawberries and just a mild that you stayed authentic to the idea of what it was moving in. And that's what I think we've done here. We stayed authentic to bourbon, everything else. Be like, yeah, I do get that creamy note from the from the vanilla bean. And yeah, a little sweetness makes it a little easier to approach it. It smooths else. it that's out right. at yeah. the end. And it makes it um, so approachable. So I find uh, something like that is is incredibly popular. Uh, it's it may sound funny when people say, "Oh, flavored whiskey!" Like that's what you're most proud of. Like kinda, because this is this is pretty special. Again, using all natural ingredients, the real deal, instead of trying to take um, a flavoring on. Because truthfully, it is a little bit easier to work with flavorings because they're consistent. Um, but we decided on on what we do here. We're going to work with uh, all natural. What you have an opportunity to enjoy is with the sweetness, mm-hmm. the vanilla, the maple. Mm-hmm. The last it, it, you get that through your palate, but then you get the pepper, mm-hmm. the, the peppery oh, yeah, flavor, yeah, yeah. and and that 
that compilation is a really enjoyable that's, note. That's the authenticity of the bourbon comes shining through at the end, telling you like, yeah. "Hey, remember, I'm still here, I'm still bourbon." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really proud of what we've done with that. This one. is delicious, and uh, and it has a fun, you know, marketing side of it. It's you know named Sasquatch, so everybody's kind of you know gets a kick out of it because it's just kind of so, so Sasquatch so, came yeah, so from the where? Behind that one again was just kind of like what 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 is, what's kind of intriguing and inspiring and curiosity. Remember my whole idea about curiosity, and uh, we're like, well, maple forests like what's out there like all right so place yourself out there at one in the morning all by yourself and stand there and like what are you afraid of at this moment you say probably sasquatch <laughs> you know you know you know it sounds funny at 44 years old like i, I just went camping the other day and i was like um in the middle of the utah desert i think we were about 40 miles till since the last cell service middle of nowhere and you say I've forgotten how many things I'm afraid of from my childhood because now you know I'm being forced with this moment. So it sounds funny, but I try to like kind of put myself in that child moment. Like, all right, if I was 10 years old, I'm out in the middle of the maple fields in in Vermont or Pennsylvania or New York State or whatever. Um, you know, where what would I be afraid of? I was like, I'd be afraid of Sasquatch. So I said, you know, that's the cool name for this one. I love it. This would be the intriguing, the curiosity, and again, and, and again, back to the curiosity as a as a young child or something like that in the woods. These are the things you think of, which I think are brilliant. You know, but, but here's the story yeah. you continue to tell. Mm -hmm. What you put in the glass, mm -hmm. Sasquatch becomes this playful, mm -hmm. um, flavorful, yep. and 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 just an enjoyable. So you take that that fear or that childhood, sure. yeah, yeah, and you and we you make flip it, fun. it. Yeah, yeah, and you make it fun. Yeah, it's almost tongue in cheek. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. it. So and I, and I think that is yeah, it kind of neutralizes what it is at that moment like the, the fear and uh and it makes it cute and fun and you know i think sasquatch is is fairly approachable nowadays as, as a concept yeah so yeah. all right so, so now yeah. you've got your um, so now on the, the last spice. one here i have a spiced rum this is our white witch also inspired by um travel um we were in um uh, Rose Hall in uh, Jamaica, which is famous for their sugar um, plantations. And where does rum come from? Of course, sugar from plantations. Yes. Places like Jamaica and Puerto Rico and all these places made amazing rums over the years. So let's let that influence us. So there's this great story of this, of um, Annie, oh boy, I, you know, I didn't think I was be telling the story today. Uh, <laughs> Annie, I don't remember her last name, but her, her, her name was the White Witch. Okay. And she was the White Ant And this is in Jamaica. This is in Jamaica. Rose okay. Hall, one of the most, uh, you know, a billion dollar sugar plantation back in the 60s, 50s. And um, so she was the white landowner. And over the years, she's murdered her multiple husbands. That's how she became uh, the owner of all this plantation. And then also murdered, um, up, they say, up to 90 of her slaves taking on many of them as lovers and finally in the end one of her one of her slave lovers murdered her uh, to put everybody out of their misery but she was known as the white witch so if you go to Rose Hall today you can go to her famous mansion and they reenact um, all the all the whole things that she did it's basically a Jamaican um, uh, um, house of horror or haunted house or something along those lines and uh and it's unlike anything in the United States. It is truly terrifying because it's a Jamaican version of a haunted house where they're slapping uh, machetes on the concrete, to throwing sparks, and, uh, and uh, they'll scare the heck out of you. And it's a whole new version of what makes people scared. And I was terrified. It was amazing. It was so much fun. And we've gone and visited multiple times now. We said, well, then our rum, which is influenced by sugars from the Caribbean and things like that, um, because it's a, a third of the recipe is Caribbean molasses. We use turbinado sugar. Sugar, everything else is it. It should be influenced by the Caribbean and our trips and everything else. And that white witch, she's the ultimate story there, the ultimate evil, you know, the the bad uh, the bad lady, and and such a great story to tell. So this one, I said, well, I don't really like spiced rum. Uh, the only thing that makes spiced rum good at the time was Coke. 
you okay. know, you know, so I was like, you know, I'm not really a fan. So make something I like. And so I said, let's take some of our influences, what we learned with whiskey and really kind of apply it to, to our rum. So we take our used bourbon barrels and we stick the, the rum in there for about a year. So we take our silver rum, which again, turbinado sugar, white cane sugar and Caribbean molasses. We stick it in there for about a year. Once I pull it out, that's when we start layering the flavors. And I layer one at a time. Um, so we make sure that the flavors are correct instead of bagging all the, all the botanicals up at once. I'll throw them in there one at a time. So cinnamon, um, um, orange peel, <clears throat> black peppercorns, anise, um, uh, licorice. A lot of those characters are in here. And it made something that's uniquely sippable. You, you, not something that goes well with Coke. You know, it goes well all by itself. Yes. It, it's, it's its own thing. And it finally made a rum that I was like, wow, I would sit and drink this. This is something I'd hang out with. You know, we've had people say it's pumpkin pie minus the pumpkin, you know, or things like that. But it's 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 unique. It's it's bold. It's strong. And we've never entered a competition that it doesn't win something. You know, so every time we, we enter, it gets recognition in the industry as well. You know how you talked about how when you when you speak the words, when you speak the vocabulary, in my mind, it was something on the nose and mm -hmm. I couldn't place it. Mm -hmm. And when you said licorice, mm -hmm. I said, that's it. There it is. Yeah. That's it. So the, that licorice and anise character that we put in there on both two of the botanicals in there, they're in the back. They're very mild because those are ones that can run away on you. What I've learned in, in infusing and, and the stuff that I've done is anise specifically can run away. You'd be like, oh, that's mildly flavored. That sounds good. I'll give it one more day. And one more day, you're like, okay, it tastes like nothing but anise now. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't get rid of that flavor. So we, we put them on the back mild because they're so strong that they, like you said, they wave at you in the back. It took you a little while to find it. But once you find it, you go like, wow, that's there. And I love that it's little there. note. Because up front, you get that cinnamon right away. Yep. You then smell that on the nose. Yep, right away. And then you get a little bit of that orange peel in the middle. But then, like I said, that anise and stuff kicks in at the end. It just gives it such a, just such a, uh, an adventure through the whole swallow. You know, you're like, oh, whoa, hey, there's something new happening here each, each part of the way. And uh, keeps it interesting. And, um, and the, the cocktail bar could do some amazing stuff with it. But for me, I like it just like that neat. That's one of my favorite ways to drink it. Occasionally with an ice cube in it. But I like to drink it just the way it is. Slow sip. And then the ultimate easy, you know, this thing goes perfect, is uh, just mix it with apple cider and heat it up. And it's perfect. You know, it, 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 you know, I always say like, hey, you got a big snowstorm. You got a lot of shoveling to do. Stick this in the crock pot with about a gallon of apple cider and a bottle of this. And, uh, you know, you're set for the next week at that point, you know. And you can do all your uh, cold weather uh, shoveling with some nice warm, uh, you know, people call that a hot toddy or something like right. that. Right. Yeah. What, what stands out for me in, in, of, of all the spice rums, mm -hmm. a lot of them tend to be more of those pie-forward spices. Mm -hmm. Cloves. And um, allspice and nutmeg and mm -hmm. cinnamon, mm -hmm. but I think you've really created a different version of this sure. yeah. by putting with by adding the licorice and the anise, yep. which is a totally different spice rum. And the beauty is each batch. We talked about this before. I'm using similar ratios, but each time I buy a botanical, it doesn't have the same flavor, the same power, the same everything else. So that's why I say I layer it one at a time because I'll, I'll sit and sip you know it what and you're like, looking for, knowing what I'm looking for because yeah. you're like, hey, there's not enough of it there yet, or there's too much of it. There. There. But in the end, it's still going to vary from batch to batch. And again, back to being that's what makes kind of what it, what we do cool is like yeah, one might be a little more anisey than other ones might be a little more cinnamony. But in general, like the the general concept is there, and you get to see the progression of those flavors and how they work out. And also, um, you mentioned before, it doesn't have a lot of those traditional ripe 
um, flavors that you're going to find in, in rum. So I think that's a benefit in this one. Sometimes those ripe flavors can turn people off a little. And this is your story because, as yeah. you said, yeah. this isn't what you were looking for. Yeah. You were looking for something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And this is what you've created. This is where we came. Yeah. yeah. And then realized maybe I like it better than yeah. what I was shooting for. Yeah. So very proud of this one. And again, this is, this is one that um, we do have a tendency to throw this one in competitions quite often, and it usually always wins something for us. So uh, very proud of what we're able to do. And, you know, the rum tradition in America is strong. So you know, if you're going to make something, you better make it good is how I look at it, because that really kind of was our first spirit. I mean, whiskey, rye whiskey, Pennsylvania, that's kind of where it all started. But Americans were drinking a lot of rums back in the day, and uh, we kind of gave it up for a while. But we think with the right direction... Um, there could be a kind of a rum renaissance a little bit where uh, start seeing people enjoying it more, especially if you're going to do things authentic like this, like year-long aging and things like that. You're not just trying to crank out rums. You try to do something special. So, yeah. So one of the things we didn't talk about was the name Social Still. Sure. Yeah. Where did that come from? So initially, I was trying to be like you know. And I'm sure there were other names oh, that you had in your head. Sort of. Given, but, given your creativity. Yeah, it's sort of. But in the general, like, it may sound silly, but, like, I was thinking, like, in terms of, like, Madonna or Drake. Like, people are known as one word. So I was like, we're just going to be social. Okay. That's it. One word. There's nothing else there. And um, and the, uh, uh, the, the federal government for registering said that's not enough words. <laughs> like, you need more than one word. You need another word. <laughs> yeah, so I said I social still. Okay. <laughs> But initially, it was supposed to be kind of that concept, like, hey, I'm Madonna or I'm Drake, you know, these, these famous people that go by a single name, a single concept, Beyonce, you know, like, you don't need to know anything else. You know, I was like, that's us. We're going to we're gonna be known as that one word, social. So we, we had, you know, we had to add the social still to it. But, you know, the, the concept of, at the time when we were de designing it, it was, it was the meeting point of modern day social media and old, old school social clubs. Like, oh, I remember the Prohibition meets modern era. And they both, what did they both have in common? Social clubs, social social media, you know, all those other things to say, it's just something there. And then we created a meeting place, a meeting place to be social. So, uh, you know, a place to come eat, drink, talk about things. You know, a lot of times, one of the things that we make a big deal about here is we have the only restaurant in town without TVs. <clears throat> we don't play sports. We don't play anything else like that. Some people actually leave here. They'll say, hey, oh, you got, can you throw the game on? No, we don't have, we don't like, we have televisions, but they don't have service. They only play our jukebox. Gotcha. So, um, so what we'll tell people is like, no, we do, we do something a little bit different because, you know, you put your, you kind of put down the TV or anything else and you stare at each other and you talk about things. And before you know it, a uh, husband and wife have been together for 30 years are talking about something new tonight because one of the two of them is, is not staring at a TV about some sort of game going on is that you, you intrigued, you, you got engaged with each other. And that was the whole thing is that uh, hopefully when you come here, you learn something about your Yourself, you learn something about food, and then you learn something about each other. And I think you know, being social and being a part of that was a was a huge uh, influence in naming it. And again, we kind of always knew that home was going to be the most important place. This was not a business about distribution and moving the product out. This was a business about telling the story that we're living. And I think that was the most important part that we are telling the authentic story of my life. And well, I think consider this, Adam. I mean, from a standpoint, and and that whole opportunity as far as the social aspect mm -hmm. is. People are coming together and you're creating conversation mm -hmm. by what you're distilling. Yep. If it's not something people have had before and then balancing with the cocktails and the food, yep. you're already providing a topic of discussion yep. and then everything can grow from there. Yep. Not to mention just the interaction. I mean, I can say yep. when we're at the bar or when the restaurant, there is always somebody to speak to. There's always a sure. conversation yeah, yeah. to be yeah. had, a conversation. I mean... 
I think one of the first Amaros we had was yep. here. Okay. And you're and we make, house make it. You house make your own Amaro. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and now Amaro is becoming this huge deal. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So you're creating a, a you're the conduit for conversation. Yep. You're the conduit for social. Yep. And then it goes from there. <clears throat> well, the big thing too is that being social is about your community. It's about bringing it all together. So whether, again, we're sourcing Pennsylvania grains, Pennsylvania malts, or Pennsylvania rice, whether it's our kitchen sourcing all of our, our meats or cheeses locally from local purveyors, or whether it's the bar um, creating something from scratch, that's where that story is. There's a, you know, there is that story at the bottom of every glass. So when, when they have that conversation uh, with, with the bartender, hey, well, what's, or, or even the person sitting next to you saying, what, what are you drinking over there? That looks unique because you know, we are a boutique cocktail bar. This is not about slapping together a rum and coke. If you want one, I'll make one, but we'd rather you drink something that we've created here, which is super creative. And again, our, our bar staff is like, they're like chefs and we give them the credit of such. I mean, I have a whole collection of uh, botanicals in my basement that I don't even know what most of them are because they're making things like Amaro's and things like that. They, they've taken it past my knowledge and well beyond what anything I know. And I have to go to them like, so what's what's that going to do? What is this spice? Is this is an Asian uh, curry? Like, oh, I never heard of this one. You know, I know what curries taste like. They're like, no, no, no. Try this one. You know, see what this one, this one gives a different effect. And you're like, my God, this is amazing to give people that freedom to create themselves, whether it's the chef or the bartenders or even the servers. Everybody has a chance to influence it. And I think that's what makes the experience here unique and different. And, and you know that, and you know that everything was made from scratch from here. You know, when we first opened, this is a distilling license. I tell people, they're like, oh, you have a beautiful restaurant here. I said, I do not own a liquor license. In the state of Pennsylvania, this is a distilling license. This is just a sexy tasting room. And, you know, we happen to have crab cakes. <laughs> it is cakes. very sexy, yeah, though. Yeah, right. And we happen to have crab cakes and, and scallops and, and amazing uh, steaks and burgers and everything else. But it is a tasting room. It is, you know, and I'm not working off a distilling license. So we had to be creative initially. They said, well, you can't buy Amaro. You can't buy Vermouth. You can't buy this stuff. I said, but I can make it. And, uh, and we're going to be able to make it. Now, is it available? And with your wine background, you've got the right. ability have, to do I, the Vermouth. I have the uh, background and the understanding of how to make things from scratch. And, and then also learning. Like, heck, I didn't even know what was in Vermouth until I was forced to make one. You know, because I was like, well, I don't know. It just tastes like wine and a little bitter. Yeah. You know, like, what, what really is it? So, you know, so then you have to sit down and, and learn those things. And uh, that curiosity, again, that learning and stuff, it always comes back to that and, and, a, and a true passion. I mean, the other side of it, too, is that um, as we developed this early on, I was in part of every part of it. But, as you know, as we got a few years in, I've been able to find our, our sweet spots. I'm in production. I'm in, uh, I'm in creation on that side of things. My wife really honed in on the, on the restaurant side. And I have to say, like, once I kind of backed out of the restaurant and let her fully take over, she's a genius. I think you guys... She's been doing it for forever. Obviously, right? when people come together... And everybody tries to find a role. Mm-hmm. I think you and your wife, Kate, mm-hmm. have really created something together. And you've really emphasized your strengths. And, and you've created something really special. We here. hope so. You really have. And, and we try every day. Yeah. This is a destination. I mean, this is literally... You'll learn about Bethlehem and the resurgence of Bethlehem, but mm-hmm. I think this is a destination as to why people want to come up to the Lehigh Valley mm-hmm. and have a nice meal, and you're going to have some great cocktails, some phenomenal spirits. What kind of events do you – do you have anything coming up, any any features? I, it sounds like you're going to be um, – so, so just our general business is busy enough. Okay. <laughs> um, we, do, we, we get out there occasionally here and there. We do a few events. I think we're doing a, a LCB event next week or something like that. 
But truthfully, we focus on the guests coming here and making sure they get the best experience possible. I mean, it sounds funny, like people don't consider something like this an event, but you know, occasionally on Tuesday we have trivia. You know, last night was uh, Harry Potter. I mean, we had a 100 person waiting list for our Harry Potter. That's thing. an event. So, That's like, fun. Yeah, and people are like blowing, like we can't believe what brings people out. But truthfully, just coming here, seeing what we do, being a part of what, what's happening, we really want to focus on people coming to see what we do in, in, in person. Um, you know, a brand is nice on the shelf, but it really makes a lot more sense if you can come here and hear the story. Hear the story from different perspectives as well. Like, again, we're running a restaurant, but you're hearing it from our, our bartender's point of view and our server's point of view, or one of our manager's point of view. Each one of them have a unique story to tell and what makes us unique. And again, I think that's that sense of ownership, that yep. sense of pride that they enjoy being a part of your whole story. You mentioned, we can go all the way back to the, kind of the beginning of the interview, like, did, did I have a sense of uniqueness growing up in the wine business? And I didn't. I didn't understand it until I got a little bit older. I go, holy crap, we do something really cool for a living. And I didn't know it. You know, here, you know, we're all adults. Everybody's hired here. I think once they come in here, they realize, like, this is something pretty special and unique that if you can go work at another restaurant, you can go work at another place, but you... You can't replicate this place. This is something unique in its own. It's a killer restaurant, a great distillery. We do the production right on site. So you can take $5 million and move in next door, but you can't replicate our story. Right. You can't repli uh, replicate our history. And then you can't replicate, like you said, the, the, the connection that the staff has to the business, um, you know, and, and, that, and that, that chance to educate, to learn. And when we first opened, everybody pointed at the distilling equipment and said, hey, when are you going to start brewing? You know, they didn't know what distillery. Can I? It, yeah. It's it's such a isn't it a mind bog? It's just mind blowing. That, it you know, they see that yeah. and they think brewery. Yeah, and right. They, and they they didn't even could even come up with the concept. Mindset's that you're making. changing. Yeah, and I'd have to say that was a question I answered in the first two years a lot. Right. I don't think I've answered that question in the last year at all. People know what we are. You almost want to put on the back of your shirt. It's yeah. a still. <laughs> yeah, it's a still. Yeah, we don't we don't make beer here, uh, but we do serve the best local beers here. Yes. So, yeah. And uh, but we we want to make sure that to stay authentic to the story, tell the story correctly, tell it from our point of view, and 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 hopefully the reality of all that comes through, and that people see who we are and what we're trying to do is that it isn't just a marketing. You know, again, back to who I am. I'm a marketing guy. That's what I grew up. Uh, that's what I trained for. But I'm not trying to market to you. I'm just trying to tell the story as authentic as I can. And by being here and living it and telling it, I think it's starting to pay off. And I'm seeing the people really connecting to our brand, our restaurant, and even to us. As, I, I think your connection with the earth, your connection mm -hmm. with history, telling a story, as you said, yep. I think it all comes through as to what you want your guest, your customer to experience. One of the things I, 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 it popped into my head mm -hmm. with your spice rum it has almost some overtones of being absent like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i don't know if that's a goal of yours but that do, gives you we some do make a house absent here okay, as well but, yeah. but, but i thought yeah. in my head when i started mm -hmm. you know through my flavor and tasting in, in, mm -hmm. in the nose it, it really reminded me of absent well that, that's the sophistication that we want to add to all of our spirits so you this is that I would say sophisticated is a good way to, yep. to and, talk about this spice and I think rum. That's what people forget with, especially with a rum. People think sophistication with whiskey and especially with gins, um, but people forget about that with rum. Rum is like rum. It's fun. It's ripe bananas. It's sweet. It's yeah. whatever you know. It's it, like no, no, no. Hold on. Rum can be more. And, it's uh, pina colada. It's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It comes in a frozen dispenser. Right. Yeah. Uh, we. Uh, I try to tell people like one of the best drinks in the world is a daiquiri, and they go like, "What are you talking about?" I was like. 
not the thing that you drink, the daiquiri out of the frozen dispenser. I'm talking about the right. three ingredient drink, the the rum, the lime juice, and the sugar. Yes, there's no better drink than that in the world. If you, you know, in my opinion, maybe a gimlet, which is gin, lime juice, <laughs> and sugar. You know, I mean, it, it's a simple drink. There's nothing better. There's nothing more authentic. So when I tell people like, oh, I love a daiquiri, they go, oh God, what do you, you don't? But I'm like, no, you, we are mis, dude, uneducated. I don't know the right word for it, but we all don't well, know it's what all, a real it's, daiquiri it's, is. It's our experience. Yep, it's mm-hmm. what we've had and what we can reference to right. say this is what I've had yep. until we just go back to that conversation about gin yep. this is what I grew up on hey gin you know for people that were introduced to gin it was either going to your parents liquor cabinet yep. and like what is this or it was college and saying I'm gonna get you know my you know I'm, I'm gonna drink gin and this is gonna be my night yeah, yeah, yeah. but until you start going down the craft road mm-hmm. you start to get a different perspective sure. yeah and you're helping to do that I hope so you're part yeah. of that mm-hmm. so where do people find you Adam how do they get here right, so basically we, we we brought our project back home so mostly right here at the distillery in Bethlehem we do a little bit of distribution to the PA state stores um, I think we're in 15 or 20 of their stores uh, but in general we really want to keep that project at home bring people here a lot of local restaurants will carry us I always say if you see us on the shelf ask for us if you don't see us on the shelf ask for us and uh, beyond that we're not trying to be the next big thing we just want to be that regional gem that people want to come in have to come experience and check it all out and over time as we grow and, and we can meet those expectations uh, we will probably see us in, in other markets but we found being at home working out of here in Bethlehem right off of 3rd Street is a great experience uh, we're going to be at Chris Kindlemart this winter time here in, in Bethlehem as well where it's a little more um, it's, a, it's a craft market for the, for the holidays and we're talking about a few other projects that are on the cusp I can't really talk about them okay. yet but, uh, but you may see more availability as time moves forward but we really want to keep our heart in Home. And the city of Bethlehem really makes it makes it makes it a great home and a great place to do what we do. And again, I think it works better for us sticking to our our vision of being boutique, being craft, being original, and it keeps it that way. Um, and we're we're proud to do it at home, and it works out really well for us. Just to, just for some perspective, mm-hmm. this social still mm-hmm. is about an hour and fifteen minutes north of Philadelphia. That's great, yeah. And yep. you're accessible very easily off of the turnpike. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in Philadelphia, if you're in the New Jersey area, the Metro Lehigh Valley area, this if, if you have not been here yet, this is a place to put on your calendar to say, you know what, let's just go out for a day. Yep. Uh, you've got the Banana Factory here in, in Bethlehem. You've got a lot of new shops and stores and mm-hmm. restaurants, and there are events and things that Bethlehem's trying to produce. But I think that this is a destination that people really need to come discover. And you're going to find yourself saying, you know what, I'm not, I don't, you know, for me, I don't live in the area, but mm-hmm. I want to go to Social Still. I miss the restaurant. I miss the experience. I miss the spirits. And you're producing first-rate spirits here. Thank you. You're knocking it out of the park. Thank you. Adam, I know you, you, you've got a busy schedule. I'm yeah. grateful for the time that you took to sat down, sit down with me. Is there anything that we didn't cover? Anything that you want to add at all? No, you know, honestly, I'm just more than honored that you came in and checked us out and saw what's going on. We, I love to talk and tell my story. And if yeah. someone's willing to listen... Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate it so much. You know, we we have I'm born and raised in this business, and my passion is there. It bubbles uh, over all the time. I really want this to be uh, something, and it's important to me. And I'm glad to see it important to anybody else. If anything, I can convey is that just the humility that I get out of the whole thing, showing how many people come to see what I do for a living every day. And for that, that's the true honor to just know, hey, I do something that people want to come watch, people want to come see and check it out. And if you have a, a career that 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 brings people in to check out, that's more 
more than humbling, more than, uh, you know, I have a lot of honor in that. And, and it keeps you, keeps you thinking and with pride and, and, and honor. So that's really good. Yeah. Thank you. Adam, thanks again. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you.